Hello, and welcome to the Cycling Industry News Podcast. We've spoken a lot lately about manufacturing, about trade, about different types of markets such as e-bikes and cargo bikes. But this month, we're speaking to Adam Tranter from Fusion Media, all about the image of the bike in the media and what it means to us as an industry. So, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I'm on the Fusion Media website and looking at your bio. It looks really diverse and your company looks really quite exciting. Um, It says that you used to be a bike racer, national level bike racer, road and track, I found out recently, and that you're running Fusion Media and you are the West Midlands Cycling and Walking Commissioner. So it sounds like you've got several hats. Yeah, several hats, but um, it all links into a common theme of just trying to get people you know more active more people enjoying cycling more people enjoying walking um so yeah it all kind of feels like it's part of the same purpose but there are um there are several hats so what inspired you to start fusion media and what's the goal of fusion media yeah i I wish there was some grand inspirational story that would bring a tear to your eye but um ultimately i was racing bikes and thought I could be a professional cyclist and, and kept finishing like 37th. Uh, so realized that, that was not going to be something that, that I could attain. Um, so I did all of that. I knew really, I, I left school with, uh, I left school, but I didn't go to university or anything like that. And, and so I had sort of no demonstrable skills other than knowing a lot about cycling, um, which was a fairly pointless endeavor uh, <laughs> at the time. Um, as I'm sure lots of industry uh, veterans will, will, will sort of know, um, you know, now it seems like, oh, yeah, great, you're into cycling. That's interesting. But at the time, it was, it was yeah, fairly pointless. Um, so I, I did all I knew, and that was writing about cycling as a freelance journalist. Uh, I did that. And then in the sort of start of things, I think, which got interesting, Beijing Olympics, um, you know, Tour de France coming to London in 2007. We had lots of things happen. We had the London Olympics. Lots of things happened that, that got cycling on the agenda. So uh, 2008 went from being a journalist to kind of being more of a comms person. And then, uh, you know, using the company to, to, to originally invoice for freelance journalism, but it turned into becoming a, a hired people. We became a marketing and communications agency. Uh, and we've been doing that since, yeah, since 2008, growing naturally, organically um, to the point where we are today. It was about 14 of us in total. We work with brands like um, Brompton and Specialized and uh, Shimano and Red Bull and Evan Cycles and lots of others, uh, really great brands in, you know, in the industry. And uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's kind of spread from there, really. And that's, that's how I got into it. And I guess the, the big pivot in the last, oh, I don't know, four years maybe uh is is really you know we've always been about getting more people on bikes that's been a thing you know that's been been passionate about but the industry has overwhelmingly focused on a certain demographic of getting people on bikes you know people who you know see cycling as a sport or a recreation which is totally fine uh, and brilliant uh, and we were really you know we are still really into that mission but about four or five years ago when we started working with brands like Brompton it kind of really opened our eyes to the sort of social purpose to the to the bicycle um really and, and how it can genuinely change lives and solve a lot of the uh social issues that we we have whether it's health inequalities whether it's climate change air pollution all the big challenges that, that are facing us could be helped by the kind of humble bicycle 
so I um yeah I started to get involved in the kind of advocacy side um, which is which is a whole new world totally fascinating nothing about speed mainly about safety mainly about equity in in transport and that's kind of taken me on a little journey from sort of taking my kids to school by bike and getting annoyed that it was rubbish and that no one you know no one else would do it unless they were really brave to being appointed late last year in December as um, the elected mayor, Andy Street's um, cycling and walking commissioner for the West Midlands. And isn't it fascinating? I remember hearing a podcast way, way back when with someone from the Netherlands, and they said, well, in the Netherlands, a six-year-old can cycle from anywhere to anywhere. And funnily yes. enough, at the time, I had a six-year-old, and I lived in London, and it was like, oh... <laughs> that's a different world and it does seem like um there's more moving towards that across many countries and i did want to speak about different countries experiences of advocacy and media representation of cyclists but as uh, you're british and in the uk and as i'm british even though i live in europe now um that's you know uh, my main experience anyway and I was interested to get your perception because we started Cycle Systems in London in 2007 and it felt like we were on the crest of a wave. There was this incredible movement towards promoting cycling, both within Transport for London and the the Mayor's Office with Ken Livingstone and Jenny Jones through, as you said, the big sporting events happening, building up to London 2012. A really mainstream media, notably The Times, massively behind and supporting cycling Mm. and you know as a very small startup we got some fairly considerable investment from a venture capital company who wanted to get involved in green growth cycling company Mm. and it really felt like the image of cycling was incredibly positive i remember cycling down city road on my way to work just after the 2012 olympics and uh, a group of geezers kind of drove past went yeah out the window at me, which had never happened before. Uh, or since. Did they think you were Bradley Wiggins? I don't know. I've got no idea. It's just, oh, look at a bike. Yeah, brilliant. And it really feels now in 2022 that in Britain, at least, the media has really turned against cycling. I mean, the Times, as one example, is really quite anti-cycling of late. And there's been a lot of hate articles. It's the only way you can put it, which quite frankly have endangered people on bikes, have possibly fueled quite well-publicised attacks with people on bikes, which is really life-endangering and have caused some pretty serious injuries. Have you also witnessed this shift kind of retrograde shift and do you think that's part of a wider the the media is just getting more nasty in many ways isn't it is it society getting nastier is it a campaign are people funding this kind of hate or is it just like a pendulum and swings one way and another yeah it's interesting you raise a lot of um a lot of interesting uh points there and i think uh one of my theories on this is, uh, you know, the media. Uh, say the me- I'm reluctant to say the media because <laughs> you know not or not all. Uh, I work in the media. Um, you know, it's nuanced. It's it's not one thing. Uh, there, are lo- there are lots of positive voices. It feels like it is sometimes. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> lots of different and challenging voices, and I think some of those voices are, are important for. Yeah. 
democracy and all of those things. But, uh, you know, I, I totally understand your, your point and where you're coming from. I actually think that the reason you're seeing what feels like a, a, a big um, shift almost towards being more negative is actually the uh, the idea that we are becoming more effective. So it was it's kind of nice, um, you know, and cycling has always been seen as kind of kind of nice. So in policy terms, you know, for the last decade or so, we've known that it's important to get more people cycling and walking. And we've known for more than a decade, but but it's certainly been in most modern council policy documents. And uh, and the media, you know, it's kind of, it's been a thing and it's like, oh, that's nice. But now <laughs> we're, we're presented with a, we're presented with an actual opportunity to, to, to reshape our, our entire transport system and change is really hard. So, you know, I I think the way that some media, are, you know, are reacting and and kind of creating a culture war and trying to other cyclists is um, or people that cycle is uh, is only a reflection of the fact that uh, there's actually a shift going on already with 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 the fact that this stuff actually might change the way transport is and that that feels uncomfortable for uh, a lot of either vested interests or it feels uncomfortable just purely because change is change is hard, uh, regardless of what that uh, what that change is. So I, I I think it's because we're being successful actually trying to get more people uh, cycling and walking, um, and I also think that um, you know things change over time. And and I was talking to uh, Peter Walker, he's a Guardian a Guardian journalist, and he has a book called The Miracle Pill, um, and and. He was taught his previous book um, about being a cycling nation. Um, basically, referred he, he was referring to this concept that cyclists seem to be the kind of one of the few groups of people remaining that societally it is still acceptable to take the Mickey out of just based on their pure existence or to threaten, so, violence, to threaten violence towards even yeah yeah well quite um, and I guess the the um, the example he gave was, uh, you know, uh, veganism, for example, you know, 10 years ago, you might, you, you might jest and joke about vegans being weird or it being odd or not, you know, not human or whatever. And, and now you would not because there's a, a, it's not a nice thing to do. B, it's not true, but C, uh, you know, there's a good chance that you're, your boss or your your friend or your 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 colleague's daughter is a vegan um and uh and, and it's just become you know increasingly socially unacceptable to be like that and socially normal to choose veganism for example so you know i think it's interesting that cyclists seem to be one of the few remaining uh groups and i can't see that lasting forever because you know as you get more cultured uh, or develop more cycling culture uh, like they have in, uh, you know, in the Netherlands, for example, um, people think it's very strange that people are identified as cyclists uh, there because they happen to just be people using bikes for um, for, for transport. So there's it's a it's a whole uh, a whole thing. I try not to get too, you know, I try not to get too worked up about it because there is uh, opportunity for change. There is, you know, way that we can affect change and actually most of the nationally statistically representative um survey polling by places like YouGov um 
suggests that the mo- the, the vast swathes of the population are actually with us and they want popular change um, and sometimes it takes a little bit a uh, little bit longer for newspaper proprietors to to realize that I certainly and i am of the belief that the growth of e-bikes is really helping to kind of shift away from that othering because more and more people are becoming cyclists with their e-bikes people who never would have ridden bikes before or hadn't for many years are now on e-bikes and they're saying hold on a minute that's me you know, I, yeah. I'm that person. And yeah. I, I, this is my little pet theory. Well, it's not just my pet theory, but when I see these kind of hate articles, I'm reminded of Easy Rider when I sat around the campfire and he says, well, what we represent is freedom. And that's why mm. they hate us, you know, talking mm. about the man. And, um, of course, I think that is often the case if um, you get the sort of stereotypical angry driver stuck in traffic. You know, I was in Bern yesterday at rush hour riding my bike, and I was just flying past line after line after line of station because on my road bike, you know, feeling great. And you're mm. certainly going to get some people just feeling jealous and angry about that. So, yeah. Looking at just on just so, sorry, just on that, um, I just just an interesting anecdote. Um, the links into the media stuff as well. You know, Matthew Paris, uh, a journalist for the Times, mm-hmm. wrote in 2007, "What smuggling deserves to be decapitated," uh, and it was an article about cyclists mm-hmm. and um, you know how for this Christmas we should string piano wire across country lanes to yeah. decapitate yeah. cyclists, which people have absolutely, done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely nuts thing to, to to write. And 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 you know, the article I've got in front of me is now updated with a. With an apology, uh, the same Matthew Paris wrote an article last year, uh, waxing lyrical about how e-bikes have changed his life, mm. um, and it's just really strange how um, you know how for for you know for whatever went through Matthew Paris's head when writing that um, he can see himself in a totally different frame of mind when it comes to uh, enjoying uh, the freedom that kind of uh, e-cycling gives you, and to many respects, that's what. You know, the bike is best. The campaign that we set up, you know, on behalf of the cycling industry outside out of Fusion Media, um, is is about really and and trying to change that image mm. uh, of cycling, getting rid of you know wearing like is totally fine, and I do it. Um, you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be disassociating ourselves with what is sensible clothing for for road cycling. Um, but we we do you know we do need to get away from some of the stereotypes and start to t- treat cycling seriously for utility and transport uh, and that's what you know that campaign uh, aims to do as well and as you say change is slow because it we're talking about cultural norms and cultural norms are formed over generations and um as i'm here in bern in switzerland and in terms of cycling it's a fantastic place to live it hasn't got particularly good infrastructure. You know, it's mm. not Copenhagen. It's not anywhere in the Netherlands. Most of the cycle lanes are paint. Many of the cycle lanes are crossed by car lanes. Uh, mm. Cycle lanes disappear at pinch points. All the things that one shouldn't do when building safe cycle infrastructure. But the people are considerate. You know, um, that they are treated as a human being going about your daily business, whether you're on a, a sit up and beg a higher bike, lots of the sharing bikes here, or mm. your full like for a roadie. And that's just mm. a cultural norm 
of Switzerland, where mm. most people cycle. As you say, it's not just I'm a cyclist, it's just people do it. They take their kids to school on e-bikes, you know, they're at doing the sporty side of it or what have you. And that feels like the biggest challenge. You know, when I was in New Zealand in Auckland, for example, my impression cycling in Auckland was that people just didn't get it. It was mm. just get out of the way, bro. You mm. know, you, you shouldn't be here. And it wasn't like they were bad people. New Zealand people are generally pretty laid back and friendly, but certainly on the roads there, there's a sense of might is right, biggest wins. And cyclists, road cyclists, it was just, they didn't get it. They got mountain biking, mm. but they just didn't get it as a way to get around. And I think that's changing a little bit over there. But what's been your impression of different parts of the world and this culture and then success has anything inspired you from elsewhere in the world apart from the obvious denmark and the netherlands yeah i tell you where it's most uh inspiring for me at the moment and that's paris mm -hmm. uh, it's not you know it's not actually pretty really um you know the stuff they've done in terms of cycling infrastructure uh it's not even you know hugely well designed um but it is highly effective uh, and it has, you know, got to a point where there is a, a real cultural change. And obviously people say, oh, well, France has always had a, a link with cycling and that that would be true. But but Paris has been an incredibly hostile city for 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 cycling, um, hugely choked with with traffic until uh, fairly recently. And uh, I've visited a couple of times in the last couple of years and were, were you know, totally blown away by the change that I saw before me. And that's largely happened with temporary materials, bollards, uh, you know, paint, uh, et cetera. But it's, it's, you know, reallocated the road space and it hit, hit a kind of moment in time, obviously during lockdown where people, uh, when they were returning to work thereafter, were concerned about using public transport. They did a genius thing, I thought, which was to develop the, the original cycling network they created uh, during coronavirus um, they called them Corona lanes, effectively. But the 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 really smart thing was 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 making them follow the the metro lines. Mm. So basically, they they just replicated the metro lines above ground, and then of course most Parisians already knew, you know, how to navigate that system. So they when they took to their bikes, uh, they did a great job. Um, my um, uh, my wife is uh, French, and her cousin. Um, you know, I would never have thought would take to a, to a bike, and she got one of the French. That was it's the wider Paris region uh, government's kind of scheme to hire an e-bike for six months, at something like forty euros a month, with you know maintenance and a lock in, included. And at the end of that six months, you had to you have to give it back so that someone else can use it, but you get given a five hundred euro subsidy for an e-bike um, from the from the government, and and that just you know, looking at what Paris is doing, all those all those things combined with infrastructure and road space reallocation has meant that um, they can do it. And I think most people would know that that Paris is not a city that was always this way, and it shows that you can do it. Um, you know, very very quickly. Uh, as I say, it's not not that pretty, uh, and you know there are some concerns I think with some of it, but but largely it's giving you know the opportunity to to choose active travel to many more people uh, and they are choosing it mm -hmm. and i remember um 
in my London days, round about that 2008-9, I met someone who was developing what he called um, the cycling tube map for London. And it was a map based on the, the tube graphic for London, which is still out there. You can Google that and find that. So if we shift gear slightly with our um, wireless access shifters into looking at fusion media's commercial role, looking at PR and communication, social media influencing, this is something that I think is a bit baffling to a lot of us bike industry bods, you know, certainly speaking for myself. And at Cycle Systems, you know, we've gone from training bike mechanics which we still do through to to delivering online memberships and all of this is marketed digitally and and sold digitally using social media etc and it's been an incredible challenge for us to try and navigate this and find this and then people complain and saying stop sending spam emails when you try to sell a product um what would you say uh, if we start say looking at the traditional bricks and mortar bike shop how would um, a bike business who's worried about the, uh, you know, general danger to high street sales, competition from online retail, all of the things that are facing many of our listeners at the moment, what sort of thing does Fusion Media do? Uh, not going to do a whole advertorial for you here, but what would be your advice and support for uh, these businesses? Yeah, so I guess um, you know we do, we do a broad range of stuff within within the marketing mix, and actually, you know, we do work for some uh, retailers, and I've worked myself individually uh, in a in a local bike shop growing up, um, and and we're probably actually not um, thanks for the advertorial opportunity, but probably <laughs> not play, super well placed to to support um, you know a, a kind of hyper local uh marketing because but i do have some thoughts on it which i'll give you um you know we generally specialize working brands directly and 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 trying to reach quite broad audiences and specialize in sort of you know brands especially that have kind of done very well in the cycling industry but now want to reach new audiences and 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 you know we've always been about sort of taking cycling to the to the mainstream so that's that's sort of um, you know a mixture of what we do, and, and and that's across you know PR, whether it's digital marketing as well, social media marketing, content, video, um, etc. We you know we cover off that kind of broad spectrum. But when it comes to IBDs, and this is something I I, I think a lot about because I still you know am very friendly with my local bike shop um, where I used to work, and you know sometimes give them some uh, advice on things to think about, but. Um, you know we've got to uh, some of this is about the retail experience but i strongly believe and this does fit in with my job as commissioner as well that high streets you know are due and will have a resurgence if they if they you know aptly reinvent themselves um and and they need to do a good job of that and they obviously need support um for that and there are some things happening to try and get people back on the high streets and regenerate them as part of the kind of government agenda but we we really um, need to believe that that you know high streets uh, are, are here uh, to stay, and they will become you know and should should have always been social hubs for people to meet and 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 dwell and rest. And you know when I'm looking at active travel for walking, especially you know dwell time and the convenience that is like you know I was in my local high street today. I crossed the road in a gap in traffic, 
to go to somewhere and then forgot that I'd gone to get a sandwich. I wanted to go and get a sandwich rather. And I didn't cross, I, di- I didn't get the sandwich because I couldn't be bothered to wait 45 seconds to cross the road uh, again. So a lot of that fits into what the high street looks like. And I think um, local bike shops would, would do well to, um, you know, I think this is something I've seen Mark from Cycle Engineers News talk about, which is, you know, getting a bit more involved in, in advocacy in your local area. Um, because it does have an impact, you know, if you've got cycle lanes or, or more hospitable places in your local community, uh, IBDs are, you know, likely to um, really uh, benefit from that. And then the other thing is about, you know, we might call it influencer marketing uh, when we're selling it in uh, to a large brand, and that's what it is. But actually, it starts with the key principle that having key, you know, loyal uh, champions advocates for your brand is you know is really uh, is really helpful so whenever i have spoken to ibds it's always come clear that you know the social proofing of marketing is uh is the most effective you know you call it word of mouth in layman's terms and it and it is just that you don't need to make it much more complicated but obviously today we have review cultures we have lots of opportunity to to amplify that kind of um social proofing that comes with uh bike shops you know i visited this shop and it was great and you know when we've done bike is best research we have found that uh some um you know some bike shops don't um appeal or to to uh, people who don't cycle yet or to women for example they sometimes feel intimidated that's what our data sort of seems to show so um you know getting people through the door and showing them what it's like inside or, or kind of getting across your customer service ethos that you present in store kind of outside of the store uh can be good ways to um uh to 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 do that but a lot of you know a lot of what we do comes down to you know just at a different scale comes down to sort of yeah this word of mouth social proofing so you know reviews uh you know whether it's a review in a national newspaper or a review in a local newspaper the kind of concepts the um the 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 same so yeah maybe maybe that's um maybe that's useful but it is um it's it's all tailored so uh you know people can can uh, adapt it to their own to their own situation their own business i guess yeah yeah that's right and uh or of course you could get yourself looted in a riot i remember my cycle in islington they got done over in the last london riots and um Mm. it was filmed Someone filmed it and it went viral on social media. And the amount of support from the local community after that was huge. Yeah. Well, it's those human, those Jake, you know, I, th- I think that's obviously, you know, pretty unique and awful, <laughs> um, awful scenario. But I would say there's something in, in, um, that's important to recognize in kind of those human angle stories is yeah. human interest stories ultimately humans are interested in humans and just as a little case study we we um we work with rally uh and we found a guy who purported to be the country's oldest paper boy um and we we um we saw a photo in a local newspaper of him and we rang the shop that he was the newspaper boy for uh i think he's in his late 80s um, and we uh, we we offered him her, uh, a rally e bike to make his deliveries a bit you know a bit because uh, he was talking about retiring. So we were like, no, don't retire. Get an e bike and keep going for for a bit longer. And and he loved it. Of course, we'd sent a photographer down and did a video with him, and it hit just about every single national newspaper in the country. And 
um, you know, just because it was one of those feel good stories that kind of, you know, just just played into lots of great human interest angles. And it was, you know, and, and the face of it, very simple sort of story to achieve and just came down to a human, a human interest at the end of the day. But that was that was a fun one to work on. Um, what I wanted to ask you, Adam, was to try and tie your advocacy work and your media work together, because it seems that with cycling and often with any form of transport or, you know, moving goods that isn't um, automotive, it's, it can be a bit of an uphill struggle. Now, as we covered in the freight bike um, episode a few months ago, that is really picking up. And certainly here in Bern, you know, in Switzerland, there's huge amounts of small electric vehicles and e-bikes being used for lots and lots of deliveries in the city. But often when we look at transport planning, like COP26, for example, it was all about the car industry with electric cars. Mm. Um, there seems to be repeated articles about flying taxis. Now, this is what gets traction. It's not just riding your bike to work, but getting a flying taxi. There's this obsession for, with politicians and with the media about being at the Jeffersons. Do you think that's accurate? Is that you know actually what's happening on the ground in your work in the political sphere, or is it a, a media issue? Uh, I I think that ironically the the flying taxi stuff um, is is really uh, I was going to say really taken off, but <laughs> ironically they haven't taken off. Yeah, uh, they've they've really uh, set out their intention to in future take off. Um, on flying taxis in in my home city of Coventry, uh, and uh, you know I, I look at that and I think oh you know okay it's it, you know it's it's interesting people get interested by it and that's why it works. Um, but ultimately, uh, I think this is more of a media play. That my experience with working with actual policy makers and policy professionals and elected officials is is they do know what the solutions uh are um but they you know can't rightly i think can't help but sort of try and make it uh interesting and fun and 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 different to to potentially appeal to different audiences because ultimately you know uh i'll give an example that's not cycling but you know onshore wind uh or something is not that interesting to the majority of people but the idea that you're there might be flying taxes in your city uh is so you know that's how the the kind of media system works and works and sometimes you have to play to that i actually for what it's worth think we could learn something from some of this stuff within the cycling industry i think we're quite um you know uh, modest sometimes and you've seen some brands like van moof uh who i don't work with but i you know i admire i think they do some interesting stuff um sort of playing more of that game of future gazing producing concept vehicles um, and and actually, you know, uh, I I really don't uh, doesn't appeal to me at all. But like Elon Musk, who many people worship, if uh, if he created a, a bike, for example, that would be super interesting. And I was with just as a, I was with a lot of my friends who all work for Jaguar Land Rover because where I live, that's one of the major employers. And I have a Van Move bike, and I I walked up to it, and because my phone was in close proximity to the bike. The bike woke up, made a sound, and the front and rear lights turned on. And all the car engineers were like, that's so cool. Like, I want one of those. 
So I think we can, um, you know, the bikes are a very simple tool. And sometimes, you know, it plays to our advantage to be a simple tool. But sometimes it plays to our advantage to play into some of those brilliantly um, gimmicky things that the car industry has been brilliant at, you know, with the world's... My friend had a car that had the world's most ergonomic cup holder. And he always used to talk about it. And um, we really I think are we lost, can learn- aren't we? We really are lost yeah. as a race. <laughs> I think we could learn from that um, somewhat uh, as well. There, I think the biggest danger is the the, the falsehood that, uh, and this is still is quite prevalent amongst um, you know politicians of all um, political persuasions, is is that uh, electric vehicles will solve all of our problems, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and they will not. Uh, and and even if they did decarbonize the transport system which they can't quickly enough and they can't do in isolation even if they did you know the department for transport estimate that road traffic uh, could increase by 51 percent by 2050 uh, because electric vehicles are a lot cheaper to uh, use per mile so the usage from induced demand it's called jevons paradox will will increase uh and that's um that's troubling but also you know just if you imagine your own town or city center right now it can't take any more congestion we're not going to be able to knock down some houses and build ring roads we made that mistake in the 50s and 60s so we have to find other ways and i think there is a quite a lot of chips in the 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 kind of e um ev um uh bet and and I, uh, I that does that does worry me because um, cycling and walking are much cheaper, much more equitable, and actually meet many of our policy objectives, but aren't always as as sexy as the the flying taxes. So, do you think for the last question then, just looking globally, do you think there's any particular carrot? that can be dangled in front of media, politicians, policymakers, or any particular stick which may actually just, you know, appear from, you know, circumstances or happenstance. Is it going to be a carrot or a stick or a bit of both, do you think, that does force positive change if we ever get there? Yeah, I try try not to... um, Carrot and stick is is sort of... Um, I, I totally get the analogy, and it's something that we talk about a lot in transport. Don't think it particularly um, equates well in real life because people assume that they're going to get beaten with a stick. <laughs> um, and um, uh, you know, I don't think it's necessary to to to, to beat people in that way. Um, I do, however, believe that you need to uh, you need to increase the. Uh, opportunities for better sustainable travel choices simultaneously with making it harder to make some of the uh, the, the more harmful transport choices like driving for short journeys for example um, and I think sometimes we've made the mistake of trying to give people lots of really nice options those options have not been taken up because ultimately you know Stevenage for example has loads of cycle lanes um, but it's also really easy to drive there, as is Milton Keynes, and you can park wherever you like, uh, and and the whole system's designed around the motor car. So the, having separated t- safe bike lanes underneath a dual carriageway is not going to get, and hasn't got the mode shift that perhaps the planners um, expected or people expected. And uh, actually, you've got to simultaneously make short journeys uh, more difficult uh, at the same time, so I think you know it's going to be a mixture of providing people choices and 
disincentivizing um, uh, other choices. And of course, while I know many people and, and uh, you know, we're all feeling the kind of cost of living um, uh, crisis and many people will, will notice the difference at the fuel pumps, uh, you know, right now, driving is still, you know, compared to other modes of transport, the one that has um, fought price rises uh, in a, you know, in a big way, you know, bus, public transport, you know, in terms of trains, trams, all those prices have gone up uh, massively. And uh, compared to inflation, you know, um, we've, there's been no increase in fuel duty, as now even a fuel duty cut. So we have to, um, we have to make some of the at some point we're gonna have to say look driving's not working out we need to make it harder for people and ironically you know i think there'll be a lot of people listening maybe not in this podcast but some people might listen to to me saying things like this in another sphere and go well you know that's not fair because some people rely on their cars but actually um if we free up road space for those who uh, really need it ultimately by taking the pointless journeys off the road or for example in Birmingham near me 25% of resident car journeys are under one mile if we can shift those journeys then we free up space who really for people who really need to drive um, so it's a, it's a win-win but we it's hard to get your head around yeah it is and it's funny because those people are never bothered about the people who need to cycle are they there's you know because with there's a whole lt and the low traffic neighborhood things in london which was somewhat polarizing it seemed there was um certain people saying well disabled people need to drive and there's lots of disabled people saying well actually i use my bike and that's what gives me mobility but they didn't seem to care about that so um it's a really good and wide-ranging points from you there adam and if people want to carry on discussing them with you where can they find you online uh i'm at adam tranter on twitter and you can also check out the bike is best campaign um where bike is best hq on social media or bikeisbest.com. cool and is there a hashtag as well hashtag bike is best awesome okay well i'll definitely um tag that when we're putting this podcast out you can of course go to cyclingindustry.news for all the latest news about the cycling industry worldwide you can also find us on facebook twitter instagram and youtube instagram even i'm not sure what instagram is i've just invented a brand social new social network for ants <laughs> I, I think they, they they might need one sort of um not hive is it whatever they live in um, <laughs> nest to nest communication through the fungal network so on that bombshell um adam it was really nice to meet you fascinating to speak to you it's very heartening actually to listen to somebody who's at the cold face both politically and in the media and i hope our listeners found the same see you guys next month bye-bye 